0: Hi. This
1: is Janice. Hi. This is Janice Lindstrom of the Music Therapy Show. And it's been a while since I've done the show and I kind of forget how it goes. But today is April tenth, twenty fifteen. And the call in number for the show, if you'd like to join us on the air and ask questions, is six four six six five two two eight five zero. I started this show to have a conversation about music therapy or any topic that relates to things that would be interesting to music therapists or their clients that we might work with. And I want to warn everybody that my child is not taking a nap, so there might be some interruptions occasionally. And I'm going to try to keep those to the minimum, but uh, I can't make some guarantees that you won't hear kid noises in the background. But today I am very excited to have my guests on, uh, CJ Shiloh and Sunny and Sonny, I'm sorry, I don't know your last name, are joining me today to talk about identity first language, and that's my kid ringing a jingle bell in the background. All right, so uh, CJ and Sonny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on today.
2: Thank you for having us.
1: Hey, Janice. Um, yeah, thanks
0: so much for having us, and um, we're really glad to be here. Sonny, do you want to... Um start with introducing you with your last name. Sorry, we didn't even talk about that beforehand.
2: My last name is uh, Steffarati. Sonny Steffarati? Sonny Steffarati, yes.
1: Okay. Well, thanks for being on the show, Sonny. Why don't you start and tell us about your background and uh, things that you are interested in uh, by way of introduction to the audience?
2: Well, I'm totally blind and I was adopted from Korea at age 2, and I was diagnosed with autism at age 13. I met CJ in 2011 at her second sensory-friendly concert, and CJ can tell you more about sensory-friendly concerts, but I have an amazing gift called Perfect Pitch. I'm an autistic musician and I am the new admin of the Autistic Musicians' Facebook page. Also, um, CJ and I are co-directors of our uh, nonprofit organization called The Musical Artist, And you can go to our website, org. And uh, I play the piano at her sensory-friendly concerts, and I sing. And I really enjoy myself. I graduated from the Maryland School for the Blind in 2007, and I'm 29 years old today. And, well, my birthday was January 4th, but I'm I'm just glad to be here to talk about identity-first language and self-advocacy and presuming confidence.
0: Thank you, Sunny, for that introduction. Uh, my name is CJ Shiloh. I'm a board-certified music therapist. I think I, I probably know a lot of the audience members that listen to the music therapy show because um, I guess I'm I'm pretty well connected uh, with the music therapy field, um, particularly on an online presence. And so, as Janice knows, <laughs> Janice and I uh, actually served on a online conference for music therapy committee for... Couple of years, and I'm still serving on OCMT, and so I'm really grateful to have that uh, that position, volunteer position, because it really helps me to stay connected with music therapists from all over the
2: world. Sunny, do you want to say something else? I also would like to say that I listened to Janice Lindstrom's music therapy show with Natasha Thomas, a music therapist at the um, School for the Blind in South Dakota, and. I also like listening to talk radio shows um, about health and about um, autism. Like, if you've heard of National Public Radio, that's the show that my mother listens to. And uh, whenever Temple Grandin speaks, you all have heard of Temple Grandin, but when she speaks or when there's anything about autism, I turn my radio dial to NPR. And boy, do I get inspired when I listen to it. Thank you for sharing
1: that. I really am glad to have you both on the show. And uh, let's start off by answering the question, what is identity first language and why is it important?
0: So this is a topic that I think is really important to talk about, uh, especially in the month of April, because there is so much publicity and, and awareness of autism in the month of April. And so... I'm really glad that you invited me to be on the show to discuss some of these things because in all of my advocacy work over the past few years, music therapists um, tend to ask me this question above all other questions, and I think it's something that music therapists tend to struggle with in terms of how they communicate with their clients and and how to refer to clients. So just like if you've um, been to any of my presentations at music therapy conferences, I tend to to say this quite often, um, but my rule of thumb as a professional is to simply use the phrase a person on the spectrum. And there's very specific reasons why I say this, and so let me just explain both sides of it. Um, You know, person-first language, as we know, is the the precedence that we set as professionals, that the person comes first. And so with with many types of disabilities, you would use person-first language. Exceptions would be in the deaf community because there is great pride in deaf in deaf culture, deaf community, where it's, it's deaf with a capital D in reference to the culture and that a person, you know, a person would say I'm a person with deafness, right? It it's, um, You cannot extract that from the person. It would mean that I'm a person with left-handedness and that doesn't make sense. I mean, being left-handed is, is part of who I am neurologically. And so the same thing with any type of identity language when you think in terms of religion and gender and how we take these these words and, and it is part of our identity and it cannot be removed or extracted from us as as if it were a disease or a disorder. And so... Oftentimes, what we see uh, in uh, rising in the past five to ten years, uh, really the neurodiversity movement in itself is is only about twenty to thirty years old, depending on the history that you look at. So, so looking at the neurodiversity movement, we have a very strong presence of autistic self-advocates who would say, who would who would really. Um, Tend to take offense at being called a person with autism, and I see this online all the time. So uh, when I first began my work in in advocacy, disability rights advocacy, this actually seeded my career as a music therapist. And so I was, you know, working as a music educator, teaching lots and lots of kids on the spectrum, and. Just had, can you hear me okay? My phone is is beeping in, sorry. Um,
2: and I had spent a lot of
0: time learning about autism on my own and going to different conferences. I had been to uh, a lot of the main things that you first find when you start Googling autism. I went to some Autism Research Institute um, conferences. There's a Defeat Autism Now conference that I volunteered for. There's a variety of things learning about autism, and it wasn't until I met a professor at a, a school in Ohio. Her name is Melanie Yergo. Y-E-R, oh, Sunny, how do I spell it? No, I almost forgot. Y-E-R-E-A-U, yeah, Y-E-R-E-A-U. I think Melanie's writing is very important for anyone to so look up. That's why I'm spelling it and mentioning it. Her blog is called Aspie Redder, R H E T O R, com. She has a variety of different publications. She is on the spectrum herself, and she is a, a, a you know higher uh, academic professor, and so in disability studies in English. And so my sister had actually connected me with Melanie, and when I saw her erased a board in her classroom of, of a picture that she took and just posted it on Facebook. And it, it rocked my world. I was able to see it answered a lot of the questions that I had about autism that had, I had never been able to really find an answer about. And this was years ago, and I really didn't know that much anyway. But it was the first time that i had ever seen the word neurodiversity, had seen the word presume competence, Um identity-first language, all of these things that I'm, I'm a big advocate for now. And so um, Melanie's writing was just really influential in my life and i talked to her. And she's also a chapter leader of Autistic Self-Advocacy Network in Columbus, Ohio. And so through Melanie, then I became connected with um, other ASAN members here in D.C., ASAN meaning Autistic Self-Advocacy Network. So they're located in the D.C. area. And being in Maryland myself, I had a great opportunity to connect with uh, local chapter leaders, Ari Naaman, who is the founder and president of ASAN and a variety of different people within the organization. And so that really opened up a whole new world to me in terms of a way to view autism that is very much different than what we see in a, more of a, a diversity, or more of like the more of the pathology paradigm. So, oftentimes in my presentations, I talk about cure versus acceptance. Another way to phrase that is the pathology paradigm, right? That's the cure model, pathology paradigm versus the acceptance, uh, also called the diversity paradigm. And so when we look at autism through this lens, it really, I think, is eye-opening to many professionals, because as professionals, we see a, a a big difference between ourselves and the people that we serve. And from here, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. I'm going to go back to the talking about persons, um, when I say a person on the spectrum. But first, I just want to give a really good shout-out to an article that just came out in Voices. Last fall, uh, in 2014, Volume 14, Number 3, and a music therapy student named Rachel Reed, who I've known for several, several years, Rachel's wonderful, and a professor at Slippery Rock University, they co-authored a paper together in voices called Destabilizing Bodies, Destabilizing Disciplines, Practicing Liminality in Music Therapy. And this article has just been really influential in my own thought process and just the possibility of where we need to go as a profession in terms of the way that we view uh, disabilities as therapists ourselves who may have a disability and or the way that we view the people that we treat in a pathology paradigm or a diversity paradigm. And so going back to identity-first language, so I, I, I use the term most of the time, a person on the spectrum, unless I'm speaking directly to autistic friends, and then, you know, I'll use the language that they prefer. The same with our clients. It's always the most important thing to use the terminology that they would prefer. If they're nonverbal and we don't know what their preference is, that's where I default to a person on the spectrum. Or if I'm talking about autism in a more of a general sense, then I will use the phrase people on the spectrum. Because either way, using person first or identity first, I feel personally that I run the risk of offending uh, any particular person. So it's kind of a situation where you... If you think of using the term autistic, okay, in an IEP meeting, for example, I would never think to, I would never dream of of using the word autistic in an IEP meeting because it comes sounding like I don't know what I'm talking about. It sounds like I'm just completely unaware. And so I wouldn't use that phrase. Um, Then I also... Would not use the term a person with autism. My self-advocate friends, because then they would also be offended and highly offended. Even using the term with autism. Now, some of my self-advocate friends I know are also find it offensive when professionals use the term on the spectrum, because then it's also sidestepping the entire issue. But for me personally, you know, I'm friends with with self-advocates who do prefer the term with autism. So, as professionals, I think it's something that we just really have to use very wise clinical judgment and think about the bigger picture and just do our homework on the bigger ideas when it comes to autism. Unfortunately, the politics that go along with the autism world are unavoidable, and we as professionals, I think sometimes hope to steer clear from all of the political debates um Some do, not me. I seem to jump right in the middle of it uh, quite often, and I've been finding myself in that position even before I became a music therapist. Um, Another really important thing for music therapists to consider at all times is our code of ethics, number four point, that we cannot say any um, negative. Uh, We need to keep harmonious relationships with other, other professionals and other professional organizations. And so... Keeping harmonious relationships basically means you can't go around saying anything negative about um, a political stance on autism that you may disagree with. So when I got my MTBC, I really had to take that into consideration and realize that I might not be able to participate in in a certain events that Autistic Self Advocacy Network might hold because the um, ASAN does have very strong opinions and and is very much involved with politics, just like all of the other uh, big autism organizations. So I think that um, that is, oh gosh, it's a really big thing that I think music therapists think about quite often with, with those of us who work primarily with this population, and autism obviously is a very large population <clears> that music therapists work with.
1: Yes, so CJ, not everyone that listens to this show is a music therapist, and you threw out a lot of information. So I'm going to try to sum it up and explain a few of the terms that you used, and you can correct me if I say anything incorrect, okay? So, okay, thank um, you, Jana. <laughs> so first of all, I think the point that you were trying to make is that um, while it can be difficult to be politically correct, in our language, that language is important. And it does affect how people are perceived and how they receive treatment and how they're treated by other people. So we need to be careful about how we speak. And one way to do that is to understand that there is person-first language where you talk about the person before you speak about a disability. And an example of that would be using the, the phrase a person who has autism but people in the autistic community are self-identifying as autistic as a culture Correct. so we also need to respect that culture and use identity first language which would mean referring to someone as an autistic person right? Is that what the identity first is? Correct.
0: And we can really okay. draw the similarity between the deaf community with like a, like a capital B, deaf community, and autistic community, capital A.
1: And so, right.
0: yeah, everything that you said was spot on.
1: Okay. And you referred to some, some websites and a journal and if you could, um, after the show, maybe send me links to those. I'll put them on the sh- the show page so that people listening to this in the archives can go there to find those websites easily. Um, Sunny, what would you like to say about using identity-first language and its importance?
2: Well, personally, can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Well, in my personal experience, I'm struggling with the word autistic because in my own family life, the word has been used as a put-down. And thanks to the help of CJ, you know, she's trying to help me understand that the word autistic can be used as a positive word. And, And here's my thing. As a Christian, I believe that words, can have a long-lasting effect, whether positive or negative. I prefer to use the term on the spectrum myself, a person on the spectrum myself, because I do believe that, number one, the person that you're serving is a person. And my take is this, a person first and on the spectrum simply means difference or neurological difference. I'm struggling, really. I'm, I'm struggling because, you know, I want, I mean, I want the word autistic to be used in a positive way, and I I know I need to look beyond my own home life to impact the autistic community. I mean, I try not to use the word as much because of the way it's been used around me, but I'm really struggling because... Just like like CJ said, deaf community with a capital D, autistic community with a capital A. My thing is, I want to see a change in the way we use words because, like CJ said, you wouldn't use the word autistic in an IP meeting because it would sound you would sound like you're ignorant. But the comments. Let's go away. Right. My thing is. My my personal take on it: just ask on their ability to communicate. Just ask the person how they would like to be referred. A person with autism, autistic person, or a person on the spectrum. My my thing is just to ask the person yourself.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree with Sunny on all those points, and we it's something that as co-directors of the musical artists that we we work together to really create a positive culture. Around autism and 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 develop autistic culture and community so that it is something that you know future generations of of kids on the spectrum can grow up without the negative connotations you know that Sunny was expressing um, that that she has grown up with with people using the word autistic in a demeaning way and so it's something that we have to be really sensitive about and and that's why Sunny and I both you know use the term on the spectrum um by default because you just really don't know sometimes what that can that can um communicate to a person. So yeah, the you know, the concerts are only one piece of it. So I think people know my name um in, in the field or in the autism community and and know me about the Century Family Concerts. That's just really one portion of the musical autist as an organization. Something like the first phase of of what we're doing and, and now it's it's quite exciting. We're moving into some new territory. You know, it's been the past four years that we've been developing the concert. And I also wanted to mention a couple things about that. I, I published a a paper with Glive Legacy, uh Dr. Lagasse from Colorado State University. Uh, we published a paper in the International Journal of Community Music. I'll post the link in the show. Um so that paper is really the um, the first paper to have been published in music therapy literature about neurodiversity, and it is we talk about it in the light of community music therapy. And so it was through studying the literature in community music therapy that really helped me to develop sensory friendly concerts as a community music therapy initiative. Similarly along the lines of of how we've seen in uh, in feminist rights movement and LGBTQ and and different types of, um, of authors that have written on the topics of, of just uh, the next social rights movement and so you know that's just the beginning and, and we're excited about writing more more papers about that and then there's also um, a CMTE that I created on music therapy and neuroed which is dr. Lagasse's a website for continuing education. I'll leave a link on that, too. But that just gives a lot more information about neurodiversity. Okay.
1: So what are sensory-friendly concerts? Well, actually, we have a concert coming up tomorrow
0: night. So Sunny and I are really excited about that. We've been spending uh, the last few days preparing for that. Do you want to talk a little bit about the concert, Sunny?
2: Well, sensory friendly concerts um I don't I don't I can't really come up with a good definition for sensory friendly concerts. Accommodations like noise reduction headphones, a sensory quiet room, and phone blocks for tactile symmetry and scarves to help people dance around the stage surround um and vocalize because you know If you go to a regular concert venue, you're expected to sit perfectly still and clap when you're supposed to. But at the sensory-friendly concerts, the musical artist's motto is equal access to the fine art. So at sensory-friendly concerts, we allow autistic uh, children or adults to move around, to stim, to rock back and forth, to flap their hands, And if you look at our musical artist logo, it's a a picture of a hand flapping. So we always use the phrase hand flapping aloud. And uh, it's different from a regular concert venue where you have to undergo the social pressure of do, and it's really not accessible for people on the autism spectrum, whereas the sensory concerts we put on, we allow you to stem and rock back and forth and vocalize and dance. So,
0: Janice, are you there? Yes. I I know. I can't believe our time is already almost up. I just looked at my clock and it's it's uh it's twenty five after. Um. Yeah. I guess we probably have to wrap it up soon. I there's something also that I want to give a great big huge shout out about. Um. It's something that comes alongside what we've been talking about with neurodiversity. Um, Presuming competence is very, very important in this whole realm of talking about neurodiversity um, and self-advocacy. So uh, just really quickly, I would love for every person that I know to look at the work that is being done in Indiana and Evansville by Casey DePriest. And Casey is a music therapist who began a school this year called Access Academy, and it's modeled after Suzanne Oliver's school in Arizona, Um, and some of the listeners may be familiar with that, but I'll leave a link to Casey's Casey's site. It's very similar also to the work that I am doing here in Baltimore at the Hudson Institute. And so the work that we're doing in researching motor differences of people on the spectrum who are nonverbal, who have the means to communicate using an iPad through um, supported typing. And so there's some really exciting research that will be happening this year with um, Dr. Lagasse and Casey and and myself and uh, Carrie Cornelius. So um, I just wanted to throw that in before we run out of time. Do you have any other questions, Janice,
1: for us? Um, that's about it, I, and you're going to send all of the links and, and information where people can access that to me, and I'll put it up on the show page for this episode um, so that everyone can find all of that. I really awesome. appreciate you both being on the show to talk about it. We're going to have a little bit of xylophone background noise music from my my son. Um <laughs> But thank you for being on the show. Um, we are out of time, and I really appreciate CJ and Sunny for sharing their perspective on identity-first language. I think the important thing is that it, the. I think the message that I took away from this discussion is that there's no one right way to talk about everyone. Everyone is a is an individual, and so let's treat everyone like individuals even people on the autistic spectrum who might want to be referred to as autistic. So ask the preferences of the person you are with and treat everyone with respect. I think that is what it really boils down to is respect. Even if the person doesn't seem to be able to, uh, doesn't appear to be able to understand what you are talking about, still be respectful of them as a person and presume that they can understand what you were talking about. So I really appreciate you sharing your perspectives, Sunny and CJ. Go check out the resource page, or uh, the show page, at heartbeatmusictherapy.net. I would love to hear your feedback about the show. You can contact me through heartbeatmusictherapy.net. And next week, I have another show coming up, about uh, talking with Petra Kern and her students about some exciting work that they are doing. So join me next week on Friday at 1 o'clock Central Time for that. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend, and we'll talk again soon.